You are listening to Put Out the Fire. I'm Sorka, and this week myself and Natty have been up in Glasgow during the second week of COP26. Whilst the world's eyes have been watching the negotiations and commitments made by the world leaders based in the Blue Zone, this episode will give some insight into some of the events and activities going on outside of the Blue Zone and across the city. We are in a time where it has become clear that civilization is incapable of sustaining current levels of economic growth, agricultural cultivation, material consumption, and corporate greed at the expenses of future generations. The world has never been more aware of the impending climate disaster and in agreement that action is required. We, a group of environmental professionals, are convinced of the gravity of this moment and will, with you, the listener, explore the context, topics, possible and eventual outcomes of COP26 through a series of podcasts. We hope you enjoy listening. So what has been going on beyond the Blue Zone and across the city? Well, on Saturday the 6th of November, the Global Day of Action for Climate Justice, you might have seen that around 100,000 protesters took to the streets, raising their voices and demanding leaders to take meaningful action on the climate crisis. Throughout the week, climate activists have remained outside the Blue Zone, some making speeches, playing music, dancing and drumming, some making noise, some in silence, all hoping for real change. There have also been a range of fringe events taking place throughout the city. These have been hosted by venues, businesses and community and campaign groups. Just a quick search online brought up a variety of talks, panel discussions, meetups and activities, covering topics from the future of meat to sustainable building to clean air and lots in between. So if you walk beyond the activists and the police officers who are lining up the streets outside the Blue Zone entrance, you can find the official COP26 Green Zone. And this has been held at the Glasgow Science Centre and has been open to the public. Here they've got stalls and exhibition stands hosted by various organisations and groups, uh, including startups showcasing their innovations, as well as large businesses such as the COP26 partners displaying the sustainability work that they are doing. There are also research groups talking about their projects and charities and campaign organisations who are raising awareness about specific climate related issues. In addition, the Green Zone also held a variety of talks um, and there are also some interactive things that you could try out from a Formula E simulator you could have a go into virtual reality headsets you can try on. And it was at the Green Zone that we spoke to a few people about the work that they were doing and what they were hoping would come from COP26. So we're on our way to the green zone now. We have bypassed the blue zone, which is full of a lot of activists. Um, Extinction Rebellion are out. Um, But we're going to head over the river towards the Science Centre, which is hosting the green zone. And once we go through security, we know there's going to be a group of hydrogen and electric um, vehicles being showcased. 
Um, I think here there's going to be cars, vans, um, JCB are there with different tractors, um, Rolls Royce are there with the aeroplane and also some um, some hydrogen buses. So I think it'd be great if we head over there and have a chat. Okay, so I'm here with Robert, who's from Wright. We're looking out on a big green bus, which is half hydrogen and half electric. Um, so Robert, could you just tell us a little bit more about Wright and a little bit more about your hydrogen buses? Sure, well, uh, yeah, uh, I'm from Wright. We, we build buses in, in Ballymena in Northern Ireland. Uh, at the minute, roughly 70% of our buses are diesel, but from next year, that's gonna fall to less than 20%. Uh, we'll be producing the majority uh, zero emission, which will be either our, like our, the green bus in the background here, our Hydroliner, which is a hydrogen fuel cell electric bus, uh, or our battery electric vehicle. Amazing. And so in terms of the future of hydrogen in buses, but also, you know, in the UK, where do you think it's it's moving and, and how quickly? Well, battery electric buses is definitely the market leader today for zero emission. Uh, they've been around for, for over 10 years and the vast majority of zero emission buses today are, are battery electric. Uh, moving forward, I can see a transition to uh, to hydrogen, which will take time. Uh, volume related cost reductions, we'll see a big difference there. And uh, yeah, going forward with more hydrogen gas available, I can see more hydrogen vehicles on the roads than, than battery electric. And what do you think are the main um, barriers in more hydrogen production? Uh, really, it comes down to finding the appropriate sites to produce hydrogen in the UK, sites that are close to wind farms so it can be green. There, there's no point in trying to transition with, with hydrogen that isn't green. So we need, a, we need a defined path and strategy around producing more green hydrogen. And uh, today that is moving. It just needs to move a little bit faster. Yeah, definitely. And so obviously we're here at COP. Um, what do you think the governments need to be talking about to you know move more in this direction um, and do you think there's enough being said about it at the moment i think really we need a defined strategy and, and finance behind this defined strategy and clarity of strategy uh, rather than just sort of talking about it i mean transitioning tomorrow from diesel would be easy yeah. if there was enough money to offset the cost for operators to go to battery electric or to go to go to hydrogen fuel cell i mean both are significant improvements and it's not hard to do i mean there's around three thousand new buses bought every year in the uk so if the if the government announced funding for three thousand buses a year for 10 years in 10 years time all of our buses in the UK will be zero emission yeah. I mean that is quite simple and they don't need to cover the whole cost they need to cover the difference between a diesel bus and an electric bus yeah. or a fuel cell bus so really it's that level of, of clarity and that sort of level of finance uh, is needed and you'll transition the industry uh, in 10 years. Right, one more quick question obviously other than it being pretty freezing out here today um, have you enjoyed it have you enjoyed being here at COP? Yeah, it's been a very interesting experience. I mean, yeah, okay, standing in a car park in Glasgow in November uh, <laughs> wouldn't be everybody's idea of good fun. But uh, no, it's been a very good event. We've met lots of really interesting people, so it's definitely been worth doing. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for having a chat with us today. No worries. Thank you. With Philippa from Asthma UK and the British Lung Foundation. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. <laughs> um, so if you can talk a bit about um, what you are campaigning for and your expectations from COP26. So yeah, I am here as part of the Clear the Air campaign. 
uh, which is Aspen UK and British Lung Foundation. We are basically uh, fighting for cleaner air for everybody, uh, to pr protect people's health, improve lung health, and also try and tie in air pollution to the climate change debate because it's often forgotten about. Um, and so we are supported by Impact on Urban Health, who are our funder, and um, they uh, have a big focus on kind of disparities and levelling up and making sure that every community has a right to clean air. So that's our main focus of the campaign, making sure that people who are kind of living on busy roads have the same right as other people to be able to live a healthy life. Okay, fantastic. And what sort of things have you been doing in the, in the green zone? You've got some interactive uh, equipment here and some exhibition. We do. We've got the uh, respiratory, which is a tree which represents um, our lungs and kind of ties into um, the lungs of the earth, which are trees. So we're trying to kind of show the connection between health and climate change. Um, and then we've also got a portrait of Ella Casey Deborah, who's a girl who died of air pollution. Um, it was on her death certificate. Uh, so she was the first person in the world um, to have that down on her death certificate. So we've got her featured as well. Um, and then we've got pictures of all of our campaigners um, who are kind of up and down the country and who are suffering from uh, lung conditions. So we are making sure they're featured as well as part of our campaign. Okay, thank you. And what do you expect from, from COP26 and, and what do you as a campaign group hope, hope for the future uh, and are our leaders doing enough on the issue of clean air? So yeah, I think uh, in terms of clean air at COP, it's definitely not been featured as much as we want it to. Uh, today is uh, transport day, so we're really pleased that transport has been featured. It's a really important part of cleaning up our air. Um, but a lot more needs to be done to uh, protect health. So we're hoping that the government commits to stricter targets on air pollution next year. Um, um, yeah, that's what we'll be pushing for on the back of our campaign. And, and how can we get involved? What can we do um, as members of the public to push for cleaner and, and push, push for more to be done on this to protect our health and the health of the climate? Um, so we are asking people to kind of sign up on our website, Clear the Air. Uh, .org UK, I think that's the website. Um, and people have been asked to kind of share their story about how they might be impacted by air pollution. We want people to write to their MPs to kind of raise awareness about how bad the issue is. Um, and basically, we just want kind of people to be a bit more vocal about it because so many people suffer but don't say anything. Um, and it's a really big issue, particularly in cities. So, yeah. Amazing. All right. Thank you so much for talking to us today and good luck with your campaign. So we are now in the green zone with Rick from WWF and I'm standing in front of a huge uh, cardboard tree with lots of leaves and, and notes around. So if you can just uh, talk us a bit about what you've got here, Rick, and um, what, what you're trying to make us aware of. Thanks, yeah. We're raising awareness of our campaign, which is called We Won't Forget. And it's about holding leaders accountable for the climate promises they've made and trying to bridge that gap between rhetoric and reality. So here at the stand, we've got people writing their climate promises on their leaves. So things that they're going to do in their personal life to help the climate and things that they're expecting leaders to deliver on. Um, and this is all to draw attention to the things that we're asking for from world leaders around two key themes. One is keeping 1.5 on the table and the other is putting nature at the centre of a lot of the climate plans. OK, thank you. And what... Are, are the leaders doing enough? What, what commitments specifically are you guys looking for? Um, and, and what 
what direction do we need to be going down to, to protect our climate and our people? Absolutely. So there's a lot of really positive announcements we've heard during COP from some of the side events. We've seen some really good things in the draft that was released today. But I think the honest answer is we're not doing enough at the moment. If you look at the projections for the temperature rises, we're still not on track for 1.5. And every fraction of a degree matters for people and wildlife. So no, international leaders need to step up and do more. And specifically what we're asking for from the UK government is a detailed binding set of policies and increasing the funding to ensure that Britain gets to net zero by 2050 or sooner. Uh, secondly, helping ensure that investments from the finance sector are flowing towards green projects and that they have net zero transition plans in place. We've seen some good work on that. There's a bit more to do, but we're seeing some really good commitments in that area. Uh, third, we're asking for government to introduce what we're calling a net zero test, which will be looking at spending public money on green things rather than polluting things, and looking at each spending review or budget, how much is going to green stuff, how much is going to polluting stuff, and whether they're getting us on track for net zero or not. And then finally, passing laws as part of the Environment Bill to get deforestation out of the supply chain for a lot of our products that are on our shelves. Okay, thank you. So there's, a, there's definitely, definitely a lot to be done. Mm -hmm. um, so thanks for sharing that with us. In terms of here from the Green Zone, um, you've been here a couple of days, I believe, in, or just one day. And, and how's it been? What's the atmosphere been like? And, um, uh, you know, are we hopeful? It feels really positive. I think... I was following things via Twitter and via a lot of other things from before. And it's nice to be here in person because there's so many genuinely committed people who really believe in getting us to 1.5 and really doing these things. There's still a really long way to go and a lot's going to depend on what comes out of the political declaration and what comes out of the final negotiations. But I think the energy here is really positive and I don't really think the choice is between optimism and pessimism now. I think it's between despair and determination. And I think you've got to be determined to keep temperatures as low as possible and preserve as many things as possible and build the green economy of the future. And I think everybody feels pessimistic some days, but optimistic others. But for me, it's more about determination to deliver what we need to. Okay, and hopefully our uh, world leaders have that determination too, and it and it I do hope so. <laughs> turns into <laughs> turns into action. Yes. Okay. Thank you very much today, Rick. Much appreciated. No, thank you very much. Cheers. Okay, so I'm here with Raphael um, from Sweep, um, who is in the green zone today. So we're just going to ask a couple of questions, Raphael, if that's okay. So could you just tell me a little bit more about Sweep and what you guys do? Yeah, so you know, Sweep is a software platform for large companies to reduce their carbon emissions. And we put a particular focus on collaboration. And so you know, if you're a large company, loads of subsidiaries, big teams, you know, how do you get um, you know, your whole organization to work on this. You know, and rather than having you know, sort of a footprint exercise done once a year and it sits in a spreadsheet and a slide deck, you know, it's sort of one person that manages that, how can you start essentially democratizing climate action across your organization? And we even take it one step further in that we allow you to connect with other companies to do the same. Because you know, for, for large companies, a lot of their carbon emissions actually lies in their value chain you know, with their suppliers, 
with their distributors? And so how can you connect with them and work with them on reducing those carbon emissions? So what do you think is the role of technology then into the future in solving this climate crisis for Sweep and, you know, as, as an industry? Yeah, um, you know, I mean, obviously I'm biased because I, I have a technology background and, you know, our team really comes from business intelligence. So making sense of large amounts of data and helping businesses understand, you know, the data and then take action. Um, and then obviously we've also paired up with carbon experts that have been consulting companies on their climate journey for decades. And you know, so to us, it's a no brainer that, you know, being able to manage data at scale, you know, to turn, you know, if you're a massive organization, there's thousands of data points that make up your footprint. So being able to turn that into emissions, you know, without too much effort, automate it. And then, you know, having tools that help you visualize that, that help you delegate things to your different teams, um, you know, to track the progress, to communicate your progress, I mean, all that is going to be, you know, supercharged by technology. And again, you know, once you take that across company borders, this is massive, right? And we really think this has the potential to create these ripple effects where, you know, if companies start to put together, you know, it gives you so much more power to negotiate change because as one company, you know, you need to get one of your suppliers to decarbonize or you need your government to help you with something. There's only so much power you have. If you put together across the whole industry, you know, there's real strength in numbers and we really think technology can unlock that. What have you found as your experience in the green zone so far? I know we've only got a couple of days left, um, but has, has it been engaging? Have you had some interesting conversations? Yeah, definitely. And you know, this is my third day here. Okay. I was here last week um, here as well. And you know, some of the exhibitions change, so you keep meeting new people. And, you know, I don't know, I think we've had some, you know, sort of slightly depressing news, you know, from the negotiations in the blue zone. You know, are we going to hit, yeah. um, you know, those targets? Are we going to manage to keep 1.5 alive? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm an optimist, fingers crossed. But I think when you're here in the green zone and also just across Glasgow, you meet so many smart people, you know, that dedicate you know, their energy to solving this. And so, you know, I really think there's something brewing and, you know, it, it, it feels good. And I hope we can take this energy, you know, yeah. to where we came from. Definitely. Thank you so much for joining us for Put Out the Fire. We hope you've enjoyed listening to our exclusive on the ground interviews from COP26. So as we look to the weeks ahead following the conference in Glasgow, our team is aiming to bring you more interesting discussions on the outcomes of this momentous conference to look at what commitments have been decided, discern whether real progress was made at the negotiating tables and perhaps most importantly to look at where we go from here. So stay tuned for all this content coming away soon. In the meantime you can now follow us on Twitter at hello underscore POTF where we will welcome your feedback and invite you to provide us with suggestions as to what you would like to see from our future content.